welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the show, Scott Lewis. Thank you for having me, Victor. Well, great to have you here. Now, we've known of each other for quite some time. Our two companies are working together on a multitude of different projects, but we haven't actually had you on the podcast before. We've had your business partner before. Before we dive into the details, maybe give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah, mine's a little bit non-traditional. Uh, I, I graduated from undergrad with degrees in chemistry and marketing and actually went into chemical sales for the kind of first four years of my career. Really interesting job, a lot of travel, got to do marketing and sales for a smaller company. So a lot of responsibility in a 14 state territory. So that was that was pretty good. Uh, but something happened at the top of that company and I'm kind of a big integrity guy and I, I didn't really like what I saw. So I decided to look at new opportunities, kick the tires on doing an MBA, look for other jobs, but landed on quitting that job, selling everything that I owned, taking an 80% pay cut and joining the army. So joined uh, active duty, went in for four years, did that, was an infantry officer. Uh, that was really good experience. Uh, luckily, I, I didn't have anything really bad happen in a tour over in Iraq and got home and came out of the army, went into the federal government. Uh, that was not the most motivating for me, but it was very, very educational. I learned a lot of tangential skill sets and strategic planning, project management, risk management. So from a growth perspective, it was fantastic. And it gave me the opportunity to partner up with Ryan and start Spartan on the side. And that's kind of how I got into real estate, looked around, wanted to build a company that allowed people to grow personally and professionally. Always really enjoyed the built environment. Alas, there's how you have Spartan. So a little bit non-traditional on, on how I landed kind of where I'm at, but 600 million of assets, 300 million of capital raised and 150 people later, here we are. Love it. Well, and, and Spartan really has developed, it's developed a, a strong reputation, a strong brand. Uh, you're certainly a major player in the world of storage now and we're working together on at least one project. What is it that you would say has taken, because you know many, many businesses really struggle to go from that startup phase and to scale, to get past, I call it getting escape velocity. They, they often get stuck in a very low earth orbit and never manage to transition beyond that. What do you think it was that enabled you to get that escape velocity? I think it, it comes down to focus. And with focus, you you have the reduction of friction. So Victor, as an electrical engineer, you're all too familiar with how friction can be helpful in some situations, but it also can slow things down and cause a lot of problems as well. And I think that's really where a lot of new businesses, if, as long as your business plan and your thesis for your business is solid and there's a market for your product and, and some of the general tenets of starting a business are in line, what causes you know smaller businesses? They're usually started by entrepreneurs and, and by nature, entrepreneurs are basically squirrels on meth. And it's the shiny object squirrel, like syndrome where that squirrel is just zipping around all over the place. I am not that squirrel. I am not really an entrepreneur by spirit. 
course I am by definition for starting a company, but me, I really don't like to do anything without a really detailed plan. And then I don't try to get too creative out there. I don't believe that I'm a special snowflake. I, I go out and I, I wrote, I write plans and then I do them. And when you look at Spartan, one of the first things Ryan and I did is we wrote our strategic plan right out of the gate. And then we did it. That was it. There, We said no to almost everything coming in. We said no to other asset classes. We said no to partnerships. We said no to basically everybody. And we just stayed relentlessly focused on executing what we wrote down in the plan. And we achieved our first strategic plan. We achieved our second strategic plan. And now we're on our third. So oftentimes when people develop strategy, they have an intended strategy. And that strategy then gets informed and influenced by what happens in the marketplace. And almost think of it like, you know, you might be heading west uh, in the middle of the ocean, completely unaware that you've got a current that's pushing you off course. And so then from there, you you actually end up going in a different direction. You find you wake up one day and say, we ended up not where we planned because of forces that were present in the marketplace, currents in the ocean, whatever metaphor you want to use, it's very rare for someone to put together a plan and execute it because those currents are there all the time. We had uh, we had a business coach and he had 25 clients and he made the statement that of all his clients, Spartan was the number one by a number of multitude of factors to be able to execute our plan. I think a big part is people build plans, but they don't know how to plan. You know, part of the big things that that I did in the military as an officer was I was taught how to plan. And a mm-hmm. big part of building a plan is first understanding your operating environment. And every operating environment has a number of variables out there that are those metaphorical currents. And I think people don't do enough work in understanding their uh, operating environment. In the military, it's called mission analysis. At Spartan, it's called environmental scanning. And we spend, it takes us about a year to build our strategic plans and we build them every three years. And it takes of that year, six months, six to maybe eight months of that is environmental scanning that is going deep and really understanding our environment. And we use a tool called a pestle analysis, P-E-S-T-L-E. And mm-hmm. we've adapted it for us. So we call it the pestle traffic analysis. So it's just a, a few other operating variables there that we look at. We spend eight months really understanding those variables. And is it perfect? No. Did we throw in there that like, hey, the Fed was going to increase rates by 5%? Cer- certainly no. So there are things that that will knock us to the right and left of the plan. However, for the most part, even if we're knocked off off of our plan, we have developed enough flexibility in that plan that, you know, a 10 degree correction here or there isn't going to kill us. And then we have guardrails in through our internal KPIs and a relentless focus on that plan. So many people build a plan and they throw it on a shelf and never talk about it again. That's just simply not helpful. If you're not looking at your plan on a weekly basis and you're not talking about it with your team on a weekly basis, then it doesn't exist. You might as well have not done it. It'll be helpful 
but it will not guide you and you will come off course because there's just in the army, we have uh, what's called drift and land nav. One of your legs is longer than the other. And over time, if you're not paying attention, you will drift off course just based on how you walk. Well, so we, when we're teaching land nav, we teach soldiers on how to identify that drift and to know like, hey, this is going to be what's happening out there. So you have to pay attention because, you know, a couple of degrees off course on a one mile hike can be pretty far away from hitting your target. And that's generally what organizations have drift. And a lot of folks aren't cognizant and they aren't disciplined about managing that drift to bring it back on course. That's absolutely true. You often encounter situations like, you know, put yourself in 2019, who in their right mind would be predicting that we'd have a global pandemic, that we'd be shutting down for two years, millions of people be thrown out of work and on and on and on. If you put that in your plan and and didn't treat it as a risk, but actually embedded that in your plan, people would have said you're insane. And yet here we are. So what do you do when you have those events whether it is 500% increase in interest rates or whatever it might be that really come out of left field and not just add a bit of risk to your plan, but fundamentally change some of the, the core assumptions in your plan. Eisenhower said, in preparing for battle, I generally find that plans are useless, but planning is everything. A key mm. component of our strategic planning process is what's called an alternate futures analysis. And inside mm-hmm. of an alternate futures analysis, you look at four potential operating environments from dystopian, think World War Three, to utopian. Uh, you accomplish all your goals. The Fed rate drops it to 0% and everybody, it's all gumdrops and lollipops again and lending. And then there's a couple of other things in between. As planners, you have to understand those different operating environments so that at a minimum, you've at least spoken about it. You at least have uh, had that consciousness of talking about a future that is incredibly bleak in the dystopian side. You know, you go back to the, the pandemic, good planners can put some of that stuff in there. And one of the things in April of 2020, right? Airports are shut down, all this stuff going on, Spartan gets an opportunity to buy a portfolio of storage in Tyler, Texas for like 30 Mm. bucks a foot, a square foot. Pretty good. That portfolio now today is worth 150 bucks a square foot. But how how do we do it? Well, we have flexibility built in our plans. So we rented a Cruise America RV, like with the wolf on the side of this thing and packed four Spartans in the RV built a concept of medical support in case one of us got sick, mapped out waypoints along the way in the 18-hour drive from Golden down to Tyler, Texas, had a a driver plan to keep everybody refreshed, used the RV so that we didn't have to go into bathrooms and stuff, and we could bring food back into the RV. And that's how we did our due diligence. So when you have the ability to plan and adapt to a different operating environment, you can go out and get a deal for 30 bucks a square foot that in a couple of years later is worth 150 bucks a square foot. In fact, we actually had a fourth property added to that while we were down there and it had eminent domain hanging it over its head. 
Well, the good news is that the property, the government did seize that. And I say it's good news is because they, they paid us $9 million for that property. And it was a really big win for our overall investment thesis for that. But we were able to do that just because, you know, we had our plan and part of that plan had some adaptability in it to be able to execute in what we call a restricted environment. I love it. So as you look forward to 2024, what what's on your radar? What are you focusing on? You talked about being on your third iteration of your strategic plan. Where are you headed? We are headed to something called the triple hundo. Every year we we develop a winning aspiration and the next year's aspiration is the triple hundo. 100% accountable, 100, 100 properties in the portfolio, 100 million in revenue across all of the enterprises. And we, and we talk about that from 100% accountability. We just implemented a really good system that ties together performance management at every level of the organization. So we want to go really deep in using that. And that's, that's based on the objective and key results, the OKR methodology. Right now, we're at 54 properties. We want to, or 55, actually, we just closed on one last week. We want to bring in an additional 45 to bring the portfolio up to 100, which given the size of our facilities, that is kind of a magic number for starting to operate kind of at the next level where we'd be sub just under what the REITs would be able to do from an operational perspective. And then 100 million of revenue across the portfolio is just a good growth metric for us to go out and try to uh, get the growth in each one of our operating companies that we need. Uh, We're going out right now, we're engaging with potential institutional capital partners to partner up with our retail network to really turbocharge our overall capital infrastructure to be able to achieve those goals. Love it. Well, Scott, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? I think headed to our website, spartan-investors.com. There's a wealth of information there. For anybody that wants our strategic plan, you can go ahead and download it. We, we let everybody have it. If you're interested, that kind of guides you uh, on, on a way to see kind of where we're going. Fantastic. Well, Scott, love what you're doing and uh, good to finally have you on the podcast, not just Ryan. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Scott Lewis at spartan-investors.com. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.